Bulls man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. It's the PFT PM Podcast, Friday, August 31. I've mentioned this one a few times, and I've been looking forward to it because this man has written a book that really is an accurate snapshot of the way the NFL works. The book is called Big Game, the NFL in Dangerous Times. The author is Mark Leibovich, and he joins me now. Mark, how are you, pal? Mike, thanks for having me on. I appreciate your, uh, your interest in this. I appreciate your interest in the NFL. I, I like the idea that somebody who has very keen and savvy and advanced reporting instincts would apply those skills to the fishbowl that I've resided in for the last 18 years, because I think sometimes it takes someone outside of the fishbowl to swim around in it a little bit, understand exactly what's floating in the water, and then explain it in an accurate way to everyone else. What attracted you to the challenge of trying to figure out what exactly is going on in the NFL? Well, I mean, it's a you know, it's sort of a great way of looking at it. I mean, my day job is politics. I mean, I'm I've covered I've covered national politics for the Times for about I guess 16, 17 years now, and I mean, I guess the short answer is I've always loved football. I've always been fascinated by football, and um, I was a little sick of politics. Uh, the last campaign, you know, was getting kind of old pretty quick, and I just decided I want to kind of look at this swamp for a while, too. Um, you know, I wrote a book about five years ago on D.C. called This Town that was essentially looking at the, the empire, the sort of embattled empire that was Washington, D.C., and looking at the insiders and the club and the sort of people who think they own the country or run the country and who are just big deals and just the big money and the big ego and the self-perpetuation machine here. And the first thing I realized when I sort of walked into the NFL was, my God, this is also a swamp. And I'm also not part of this club. I mean, like Washington, the NFL is a is a club. It's a billionaire boys club. And there are a lot of satellite um, parts of the billionaire, boy, billionaire boys club. I mean, whether they're consultants or just talking heads on TV or just any number of media people or hangers on. I mean, you just see a lot of the same usual suspects over and over and over again. It is very, very different from the circus you see on the field. They're in, on hard knocks or, you know, in, in unplugged locker room or coaches, mics, that kind of thing. So I knew immediately that, that there was a really good outsider sort of insider take on DC on DC on football on the NFL because look football like Washington five years ago is, is a very embattled empire. I mean, it's incredibly fat and happy. It's incredibly successful, but it's also really precarious. And, and people around the league that I spoke to and got pretty close to were, were pretty nervous. And the sense you get is that the league kind of succeeds um, just because the game is so great, but, but sort of in spite of the people who run and own the thing. And I wanted to sort of look at that world a little more and sort of bring it, you know, just bring sort of some a kind of like cinemagraphic and, and not terribly reverent look at that. I mean, my, my goal here at the end was, was not to be uh, not to be the next Sal Palantonio. I mean, with all due respect to Sal Palantonio, I mean, that's, that's not what I do, and it's not you know, what I want to be. And I, I, one thing that struck me in reading your book, because I've struggled with this myself in the business for 18 years now, the closer you get to it, the less you enjoy it. And you've been right. concerned about that because you want to be a Patriots fan. You want to love football. And if you put your hand inside the flame, it's hard to right. really enjoy the heat otherwise. 
Absolutely. I mean, one of the reasons I, you know, I love sports. One of the reasons people have asked me for years, you know, you're in journalism, why don't you just be a sports writer? And part of it is, um, I, I, as soon as I, you know, start getting closer to sports, I'll start, I'll stop being able to like enjoy the games. I'm pretty sure, and I won't be able to root for the people I want to root for, and and just sort of indulge, you know, my boyhood sports fandom. But but the other thing is, um, look, I. I the, the, I don't want to be spending a lot of time in these worlds. I mean, sports never felt like a full-time job for me, but it also, you, I think it's really important in journalism to always just sort of make yourself be as much of an outsider as you can. And even though, you know, people sort of look, I'm like, technically people see like me as a Washington insider. I've been here 16 years and I work for a major news organization. You know, I'm a I do politics stuff for NBC. I mean, I'm just sort of like a guy you see around town. I'm sort of part of the furniture. But I also think it's really important to periodically make yourself uncomfortable and make other people uncomfortable because like Washington, D.C. five years ago and now, uh, the NFL is a really, really comfortable place. It's comfortable for the people who own it, who work there, and who just sort of get into the club. And, and you know, look, the getting's really good. The food's really good at the commissioner's uh, Super Bowl party, right? And I probably won't be invited back to that either but that's fine that wasn't really my intention here either but mark the access is not easy to get even for me when i can throw around nbc and i know all the people in the league read my website and they feel like they know me even then it is not easy to get access how in the hell did you get these people number one to let you in number two to let their guard down and say some of the ridiculous shit that they say how did you pull (laughs) that off you know, I, it beats me. I mean, to be honest with you, people have been asking that about politicians and me for many years, too. So I, there is a precedent for people making these, um, I guess, questionable PR judgments. But look, I mean, part of it, as I just asked, I think a lot of it is um, it helps to not be a sports writer. I think a lot of people um, in the league, you know, owners, they, you know, they own little empires. They see themselves as these great titans of, of industry. I mean, they say, oh, okay, like a non-football guy, a political guy is taking an interest in me. Surely um, he's a serious reporter and, and wants to know my story. And, and it's, you know, I'm not, I'm not bullshitting anyone. I mean, I am genuinely curious about what goes on in these worlds. But, um, I, you know, to be honest with you, I, I don't really know. I mean, I think it varied. I mean, I asked. I mean, the commissioner sat down with me a couple times. Um, Kraft sat down me a couple times. I mean, Jerry, I mean, it just, you know, I talked to Brady. I talked to, I mean, pretty much anyone I wanted to talk to. And, and I, I don't, I, again, I can't pretend to know what went into their decisions, but obviously I was pretty pleasantly surprised. I mean, one thing I did find out pretty early is there is a very strong sense within that club of you will take care of me, right? Um, and, you know, I don't know those unwritten rules. I mean, I know pretty simple journalism rules, which is if you talk to me and it's not explicitly off the record, it's going in the book or it's going in the newspaper column or it's going in, you know, it's going on TV, whatever. I mean, that's pretty simple. And I think in some cases, I think, you know, with Robert Kraft, maybe he thought that because I'm, I grew up around there, I root for the Patriots, always have, and was very frontal about that. Maybe he thought that um, this was going to be a, a pro-Robert Kraft book. But, look, I don't know. I mean, I can't pretend to know it, what drives, like, the egos or, or the PR decisions of these folks. But, uh, look, I was, I was happy to get in the door. As a guy who has gotten blowback directly over the years and indirectly when they complain to NBC about things I say and things I write, you know, I'm used to it. I deal with it. What kind of reaction have you gotten from any of the people that are featured, quoted, et cetera, in the book? You know, it's amazing. I I, um, I kind of expected immediate blowback because, I mean, the, the league has a, you know, they have a 
pretty sophisticated. We're not sophisticated. That's the wrong word. But they, they, they are certainly PR conscious. Certainly the clubs are very PR conscious. And wait, 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 owners, wait, wait, wait. Hang what? on. Why is sophisticated what? the wrong word? Sophisticated the wrong word because it's not sophisticated. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's just, look, I mean, I, I don't, I just like look at, and there's a reason that, you know, people like Joe Lockhart and, you know, I love Joe Lockhart, but, you know, they just don't last in those jobs very long. And I don't think Roger, you know, really knows what he wants from his PR people and he doesn't really understand it. And I think on some levels he doesn't really care about it. So, I mean, look, if they think that they can just keep printing money and, and that the face of the league is going to get booed like seven rounds into the draft, like really lustily, and that's not a problem for the brand, that's fine. And it probably is. I mean, it's not like there's another football league we can all turn on. But, yeah, so I, I, it's not sophisticated at all. I mean, they're certainly the political shops I, I work with are a little bit more so. But having said that, um, you know, I haven't heard anything. I mean, I've heard a lot of things privately. I've, I've certainly heard – I mean, you live – when you write a book like this, and there's a lot that can go wrong in 300-plus pages, and, you know, I write with some edge, and I, I try to break some glass, and I, I think, you know, there's stuff in there that people are clearly not going to like. Um, it, it, you you expect, you know, okay, you're going to get killed. And it's been silent so far except for the people saying, hey, I love the way you described owner X or, or commissioner Y. I mean, commissioner Y is a real mystery, huh? Uh, and, yeah, and that also, narrows it like, down just a little bit. Yeah, it really narrows it down. No, I mean, look, it's been a, there's been a lot of private support from people who shouldn't be talking to me and who are just sort of, you know, appreciating what's in there. So that's the best kind of blowback. I mean, I don't know if they're all preparing these 30-page, you know, or 30, you know, these 300-page lawsuits that they're going to slap down all at once. But um so far, nothing. And I think they're probably their calculus probably is any attention they give to it is just going to help sell the book. So, you guys listening, you can help do the league's job or do my job for for them for me. I had somebody ask me about the book over the weekend. Somebody at NBC basically give me the the five second summary, and I said it's exactly what anybody who's been in the business knows it's just laid out there and it's laid out there very skillfully and it's an entertaining read but there was nothing in there where I shook my head and said this guy doesn't know what he's talking about it's an accurate picture of what those of us in the business deal with all the time and I think that's the the best endorsement I can give if people want to know exactly what goes on in a completely unvarnished and unfiltered way and an entertaining way it's all in there and and it is an accurate picture of a league that somehow is wildly successful despite the various flaws and inadequacies of the people who run it. And self-inflicted problems. Well, first of all, thank you. I mean, that's exactly what you want to hear. I mean, one thing I did sort of realize a long time ago is when you go out on a trip, say, with a politician or something, or when you're doing a political story, you go to a political debate, you come back and your editor or your, you know, your desk mate or your spouse or whoever asks you, how was it? The stuff you tell them, the interesting stuff you tell them is quite often very, very different than what I'm going to be able to put in the paper. Um, and you sort of listen to that. You got to always make sure you are aware of like what's really, what makes you laugh, what you found weird, what you found unusual. Um, and and look, I mean, I, this is a book is not a usual project. I mean, you know, Jerry Jones, for whatever reason, had me drinking Johnny Walker Blue with him on his bus for four hours. I mean, I, you know, Roger Goodell's wife, Jane, you know, told me about the tattoos that uh, the commission, the tattoo of the shield the commissioner has, which I think she was kidding about. And I later tried to fact check that with the commissioner himself. And he was very, very stern. And he said, um, I do not have any tattoos at all. So <laughs> just so that's clear. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I do think that um, it, it's, it's important to not tell an official story. And 
for better or for worse, there are a lot of, you know, kind of eye-rolling official stories coming out of the league, both perpetrated by the league itself and also perpetrated by the valued broadcast or media partners that, you know, the league is in business with or with people who have been covering the league for a while who obviously, you know, are part of this world. So I'm not encumbered by any of that. And, um, you know, hopefully I, I was able to write in a more free and uh, yeah, maybe edgy way. Well, and I'm glad I have access to you because you are a real journalist, and I've never pretended to be one, and Chris Mortensen confirmed that for you at page 42 of the book. And look, I've learned a thing or two about journalism on the fly, kind of like how Jerry Jones has learned a thing or two about being a GM on the fly, not that that's the best example, right? But, but I mean, here's, exactly. here's well, one you thing, know, been doing Mark, it a while. Yeah. 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 Well, and that's the thing. If you do any job long enough, don't you eventually get better at it? I mean, 30 years of doing a job you're completely unqualified for. At some point, you develop some basic qualifications. So I'm 12 yeah. years behind him. I've been doing this 18 years with no qualifications. So at some point, I'm going to pick something up. But the one thing that astounds me about media generally as it relates to sports, the idea that the sports leagues and the teams hire their own journalists, pay their own journalists to cover them, and mm -hmm. I think I'm the only one inside the fishbowl that ever says there's something wrong with this. From oh. outside the fishbowl, tell me if it's kosher in your view for someone getting a paycheck signed by Roger Goodell. I can hear the complaints coming in already from the people who work for NFL <laughs> Network. You're getting right. a paycheck signed by Roger Goodell, and you're covering the NFL. Is that kosher journalistically? I mean, I think it's a different definition of journalistically. I mean, there's there's no question, right? I mean, I you just it's just it's just. I mean, I guess it is a form of journalism that you go to work and you're putting something on TV every day, and you know maybe. Um, you know, you can you can sort of get halfway up to the ceiling and before you get sort of slapped down by the league saying, you know, you don't want to say too much about, you know, this DWI or something like that. But no, I mean, you know, the league, you know, or, or all the clubs, for instance, they own media outlets. And, you know, unfortunately, print journalism, especially, it's it's not a terribly healthy industry. And a lot of people who are very good journalists get you know, they don't have anywhere to go, so all of a sudden they're working for, uh, I don't know, Lions.com or, or Bears.com or Patriots.com or whatever, or NFL Network, and it's a whole different set of sort of journalistic assumptions. But at the same time, I mean, look, I mean, I hate to pick on ESPN, but, I, I mean, you get this new head of ESPN comes in. Um, he said last week, said something like, um, said, you know, my number one priority is to make nice to the NFL, essentially. Like, I want to repair our relationship with the NFL. Now, they have a zillion-dollar contract between the two of them. Very, very important relationship. And if I'm a serious investigative reporter like a Seth Wickersham or a Don Van Natta or a Steve Fainer who have done some really good stories for them over the years, and, you know, I know them all. They're, they're really impressive journalists. I mean, if my boss is saying this, my new boss is saying that, I am totally bummed out. I mean, I don't know if he didn't really know any better, didn't really quite know what he was saying. But, I mean, forget the NFL Network. I mean, ESPN is a news organization, or at least I thought it was, or at least when I'm watching it, I, I do want there to be a, a critical distance so that, that this work can get done. And, uh, again, though, it does give you a sense of how the NFL is in the heads of a lot of these media executives who theoretically are, are overseeing journalists, and, and you would think that would ha they would have journalistic impulses. And, and I have to give, at this juncture of the discussion, my bosses at NBC credit because, you know, mm. I'm trying to keep employed. Absolutely. But they, they, they never yeah. tell me what I can or can't say 
on my website. Now, it's different. When I'm yep. on their air, look, I, I'm going to run anything by them that I may say on NBC. And to, on NBCSN, to a certain extent, I know there's a line I can't cross on our weekday sure. morning program. But on PFT, it's in my contract. It's been there since day one. I have full control. Right. I can say whatever I want. Now, there are certain lines you don't want to cross just because it does become too inflammatory and you wouldn't cross that right. line anyway. But NBC has always been very good to me about letting me say my piece and right. they manage the relationship with the NFL no matter how pissed off the NFL gets. And they get very pissed off when I point out that their in-house right. reporters have a journalistic conflict of interest that is inherent and irrectifiable. Sure. But, uh, right. but anyway, i gotta, I got to throw that out there because you know, we no, all have masters true. that we serve. So thank it's, you, NBC, it, for letting it, me it, do my job. Yes, and actually I, I'm, I would say the same thing because that's one of the reasons I like reading you. I mean, you know, I mean, and it's – it's true, and and there there are a lot of different ways to do a job like that. I mean, I, you know, I, but I I am always going to err on the side of you know hopefully journalistic freedom that's as full as possible. One issue that you delve into in the book is the concept of nuggets and how multiple reporters have become the real time replacement for the transactions column that used to be on right. the inside of the front cover of the sports page, where you could look down and see who got cut, who got placed on injured reserve, who got traded, etc. And Jay Glazer, I don't know if you know Jay from Fox, his attitude yeah. is that's not journalism. Journalism mm -hmm. is finding out things they don't want us to know. Is that a fair mm -hmm. assessment of these so-and-so got cut, so-and-so got signed, when the official announcement typically comes five minutes later after someone right. breaks the news on Twitter? It's a different form of journalism. And it's, I mean, it's just journalism for speed, right? I mean, again, you're not breaking news that will not be broken time, but I mean, in, 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 you know, five minutes time, but yeah, no, I mean, I, to, to me, the most satisfying journalism, both to read and hopefully to produce is something that is going to be lasting and something that wouldn't come to light otherwise, whether it's observational or just a kind of a set of facts that, that people don't want you to know. So, yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, look, I will say though, that there is a huge market for nuggets and i'm a consumer of it also i mean i don't play fantasy but um you know if adam schefter is going to you know break a story about how i don't know uh, tom brady's out for the year with whatever some, with some injury and you know we would know it we would know it soon enough but damn right i'm going to like be reading whatever he writes or tweets or whatever so there's certainly a market for it and there's certainly a huge market for it in the fantasy world so you know i don't i don't doubt that that they're wasting time and that you know the networks are, are not smart for for you know devoting resources to it but no I, I you know I would sort of probably be more um, biased towards the glazer view here and the best example of the glazer view is something that you touched on in the essay that appeared in Peter King's Football Morning in America column on Monday, the idea that this Jerry Richardson story that was broken by SI.com, it was something right. that was never going to be the subject of an Adam Schefter nugget. We never right. were going to know about it if SI.com didn't get people to say things they probably shouldn't have said because they violated the terms of their yep. confidentiality agreements. But it's out there, and we know about it, and your take is that – the NFL either is or should be worried about more of the same coming down the pike from other owners. Explain right. why you believe that. Well, first of all, it is. I mean, they are worried about it. I mean, I've heard a lot of them talk about it. And not only have I heard a lot of them talk about it, I have, and this is where it gets a little, you, you get a window into how cutthroat this world is and, and how resentful some of these relationships are. There was a fair amount of, um, you know, by the way, you didn't hear this from me, but you ought to uh, check the police reports from, you know, fill in the blank city here. Or you might want to ask around so-and-so to see if uh, 
owner or GM or whoever X has maybe paid off um, some people. I mean, the fact is, I mean, these are not always model citizens. They can be quite entitled. They have gotten as wealthy as they have in many cases for, for reasons that, you know, point to a certain entitlement and sometimes ruthlessness. And they also now have the means to pay people off. So I, I think that that's, uh, it makes perfect sense to me. I certainly heard it a lot. I mean, I didn't have anything in the book that, that was going to, you know, that was going to sort of go to 11 and sort of set fire to someone here. But I, it wouldn't shock me at all if, if we see more of that, you know, in the very near future, because I know stuff is supposedly out there. I hope journalists are looking for it. I, I assume certainly the rumor mill churns. And um, yeah, so that's why it wouldn't surprise me at all. Are you done with the NFL or are you exploring some of these angles or other things that may be instructive, given that you've established this this foundation that you could then use yeah. for further reporting? I mean, theoretically, uh, you know, my beat's going to be politics again. I mean, I got a lot of politics here to cover, and that's my day job. But, I mean, I'm not done with it because if something's interesting, I'm going to write about it. And, and you're right. I mean, I have a lot of relationships now. And, um, you know, it, it was, I mean, an example, by the way, of, of of stuff that wouldn't get out. I mean, there was a, you know, Ken Belson, my colleague, and I, we got a, there was a meeting last April, last October um, with, you know, owners and players, right, the height of the anthem thing. And, and someone in the meeting was nice enough to tape it for us. And, you know, so we know what was said in that meeting. We wrote a story in the Times, and a lot more of that's in the book. So, that, I mean, if something drops like that, I'm going to definitely, you know, use the New York Times. The New York Times would welcome having that in the public domain. So, yeah, I mean, of course I'm interested in it. Um, you know, it won't be my full-time job like it is Ken's or some of our other sports reporters. But, um, yeah, and if something, if something picks, my, picks my interest again, I might, I might just jump in again. Isn't that amazing that they convene a meeting of ownership and key players involved in the anthem protesting, not protesting the anthem, but during the anthem? I always want to be clear on that. And right. everyone agrees that this is going to stay within the room. And somebody actually tape records it and gives it to the New York Times. I mean, that I was know, just right? beautiful when I saw that. It's a beautiful thing, especially what was great about it was so Roger at the beginning of the meeting said, look, I think we all need to agree that this is confidential. And um, I said to Ken when we were writing, I said, that's got to be the first quote in here. And then you got to end the quote by saying the commissioner said, according to a tape recording of the meeting obtained by The New York Times. So that way you have the internal ironies laid out perfectly there. I assume New York is a one-party state then. I mean, that's something we've become aware of thanks to Omarosa recently. But, yeah, no issues there. Or, I, you know, you have right. the resources to vet all of that. Okay. Yeah, no, that was lawyered. I mean, we have uh, – this was – that was above my uh, pay grade, assuming – I assume our lawyers are paid a lot more than I than, than I am. But, yeah, no, that was we, – we, we had that vetted. Did you have any, did you have any uh, lawyers tell you that you had to kill certain things in this book? Um. Interesting. I mean, they certainly looked closely at this. I mean, I, there was, I think I probably adjusted some things. I think they asked me for documentation on a bunch of things I, I might have, um, that they wanted, you know, the Penguin Random House people wanted, you know, more, um, just a little bit more comfort with. But uh, I don't think I took anything out. But, but certainly, you know, they, they looked at this pretty closely and, you know, they should have. I mean, that gives me comfort. How big of a pain in the ass is that part of the process, though? My wife and I watched The Post, and I was fascinated mm -hmm. by it because politics does fascinate me, the reporting angle, the potential for libel and slander, and you've got right. people who are telling you you can't do it. You've got it. I want to do it, and they're telling you you can't. How much right. of a source of frustration versus comfort is that for you in any aspect of what you do? 
Well, well, certainly it's comfortable in, in that, you know, our lawyers are great. I mean, you know, David McCaw, who's our, our head you know, lawyer, is just phenomenal. And he's also very, very um, – very First Amendment based. I mean, he, he's a very aggressive. You know, he he will often push for publication, and and he will not worry about you know having something to go to court. I mean, he he is very very confident in his ability to understand the law and argue the law, and also he's also very savvy about just jumping on grenades. I mean, he knows. I mean, it's his job to know what grenades look like. Um, and reporters. I mean, I guess our job is to be. Uh, to gather the information, present it as best as possible, and and you know David's team is just a really really good line of defense. But it's never been a pain in the ass for me, mostly just because I trust these guys and they're really really good, and and mostly that you know they're lawyers but they're also journalists, so you don't have a sense that. Um, this is someone that they brought in who, who just wants to be really, really conservative and not and just sort of err on the side of total caution to a point where you're just you know not getting anything in there that might make someone unhappy. What political figure does Roger Goodell most remind you of? Um, it, it's funny. I asked that of a few people um, who know him well, and one name that came up a couple times was Mitt Romney. Um, and it, it sort of makes a lot of sense. It's the son of a politician, someone who wants desperately to please his father's memory, who sort of sees his father as this figure who did the right thing and maybe wasn't rewarded for it. I mean, both of them were, were in politics. Both of them were talked about as presidential candidates. George Romney did run for president twice. Um, but ultimately, these are two guys who who are obviously very capable, but not terribly comfortable in their skin. Um, didn't quite, you know, don't quite know how to exist as kind of a natural leader. And and also, in both cases, are very, very encumbered by trying to please so many people. And, and in Roger's case, it's to please 32 people. And, and that's sort of, that's the bread that, that's the bread that he needs to keep buttered. But um, I heard that come up a lot. And the more I thought about it, and the more I watched, um, the commissioner and, and even you know Mitt, who I know a little bit, um, it does seem to fit. And, and obviously, both are successful people, and and you know you got to give them credit. But it's also there, there is there's always sort of a caveat with both of them. Well, and I like the Romney comparison because the public persona, right? That mm-hmm. what we see when it's time to speak at a press conference that stilted and maybe not fully comfortable and I know Roger's different when you get away get away from that but I think that right. that just that way and that demeanor I have one that I want to run by you and don't be yeah. kind to me about this tell me if you think it's a bunch of shit yeah. I look at and I think of this more as a management style I see mm-hmm. George W Bush because this is a guy who loves to be surrounded by people who will tell him mm-hmm. what he wants to hear. And I think a lot of politicians are that way. But mm-hmm. he was commissioner when Bush was president, and I just kind of noticed that early on, that there's this mm-hmm. this tendency to want people there who will tell him what he wants to hear and who are non-threatening so he can mm-hmm. run the show the way he wants and he never has anyone telling him no. Here's where I would disagree with you on that. Uh, George Damn W. Bush it. had I thought Dick it was Cheney. Something. No, no, there's a lot there, but he had Cheney. Cheney was a strong number two, a strong vice president. I mean, one of the things Goodell has done over the years is, you know, yes, he's kept a lot of the same people around, um, but none of them are seen as potential replacements. He's one of these people who I, I don't know if it's insecurity or or just doesn't like being challenged or what. He has never 
you know, had someone around him who were, is so powerful, charismatic, someone who can really carry a room who people would look to naturally as, all right, that's the next commissioner. That all makes sense. I mean, it wasn't Todd Lewicki. Um, it's probably not Troy Vincent. And look, I, there's a, I think Joe Brown, the former uh, VP of communications, had a had an expression of like sort of younger whippersnapper types who he thinks want to be the, who think they're going to be the next commissioner. He goes, oh yeah, that guy thinks he's going to be the next commissioner. And you do see people running around like that. But but essentially, you know, Dick Cheney would challenge George W. Bush. I mean, he had a huge portfolio. He was in, you know, to some people as powerful as the president himself. I think that's overstated. But um, I think that that's one pretty significant departure. But yeah, no, I think it's it's true. I, I think that there is, there's, you know, there's a lot for that analogy. And look, I mean, the commissioner's job is a political job, I mean, first and foremost. So um, it, it makes sense that Roger Goodell has the political genes that he has. Rep- representing all constituents, constituencies in the sport too uh that's what they'll say during the lockout when the yeah, next one nonsense. happens or if there's a strike yeah right. uh, okay who do you think the next commissioner will be and give me a name or two of people you've encountered that you think would be good commissioners not that this one's bad i'm just saying you know mm-hmm. but at some point they're going to want to have a good one to replace this one <laughs> wow uh okay um God, I, I should just refuse to answer this, but I'm not going to because we're you know we're just we're just we're just shooting the breeze here. Um, you know, I think Barack Obama was asked if he'd be interested, and he immediately went to the pay. He said, "Do you believe Roger Goodell is paid forty-five million dollars a year?" And that's just amazing to me. Um, you know, look, I mean, you hear Condi Rice. You, I mean, someone like Obama would be great. Someone like you know, you hear Jeffrey Iger. I mean, what's amazing to me here is you have probably the second. After Disney, you have probably the second most powerful entertainment company in America, the NFL is. They could and, – and if you were picking an all-star corporate board, as you know, Disney could or AT&T could or Fox could or whoever, um, I, I would venture that probably maybe two or three of these 32 owners are people you'd even consider, okay? Um, and if you were choosing a CEO for them, you probably wouldn't choose Roger Goodell either. Now, granted, he has a football background. He's been around for a while, and, and he knows the game. But, look, his contract came up. They could have picked any CEO in the country. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you hear Bob Iger sometimes. You hear, um, let's see, I don't know. I mean, it, it, someone like, like um, you know, Tim Cook, Jeff Bezos, these are like, tech founders or tech executives. Cook's not a founder. Um, But let's see. Someone, I mean, Mitt Romney, if he liked football, and I don't don't know how much he does. I mean, I'm giving you terrible answers. I guess I should have just quit with Obama. No, 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 no. This is good. No, this is good. Because one thing I've heard in recent years, Mark, the idea that that maybe the league has grown to the point where a football lifer is not the answer. You need someone in the inner circle who has been around football forever, just like you need someone at Pepsi who's been around sugar-flavored water forever, right? But you need a CEO, and that's why we see CEOs move from company to company. It doesn't matter if you're changing industries. There's a skill set that's part politician, part business person, part communicator, part high-level mover and shaker, and at some point does the NFL need to say, we want a CEO from another company, not somebody who's been inside the football bubble for their entire career? You would think, and look, I mean, besides the football bubble, I mean, and look, the NFL has a very strong bias to the status quo and to the familiar, and Roger has been part of the furniture for three and a half decades. Everyone knows him. He's the kid who's been around the office. He became someone who was in a lot of sensitive jobs. He's he's done a lot of politics. He's sort of, you know, 
gathered a lot of chits over the years. So he has that. But but there's also a bias towards lawyers. I mean, Tagliabue is a lawyer, and because of so many of the ex- existential moments around the league over the years have been around legal things, whether it's the USFL um, – you know the the lawsuit with the USFL and and other antitrust things over the years. There is sort of a legal orientation, but I do think I mean look, Roselle was a PR guy. Um, I mean a guy like John Chambers, who was a former CEO of Cisco, who's a great marketer, great PR guy. Um, you know, sort of a corporate innovator, but mostly I mean you know he he's. Uh, He's kind of a sunshine pump. I mean, like you, you sort of remember I, I did a couple of stories on him back when I was a tech reporter back in the day. Um, you get a sense that the guy could really make people around him want to want to feel good and sort of look around corners and someone like that would be good. But no, I don't. I don't think football. I don't think like you know being around the league office or even on a sideline or something like that is is a great recipe. Having said that, I mean some of the most impressive figures around the league that I met are executives at the clubs. I mean, a guy like Jonathan Kraft or Rich McKay or of, um, of Atlanta or uh, Kevin Demoff of the Rams. I mean, there, there are a lot of very strong sort of number two, number three type people at the league that I, I think could you know, be a great benefit to people there. But again, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't, I think ultimately, first of all, Roger's there for another five years and, you know, he might be there for another five years after that. And, um, I don't know. I I don't know how uncomfortable the league ultimately wants to make itself. You mentioned that the league very often has self-inflicted wounds, and I agree with that wholeheartedly. The biggest self-inflicted wound in recent years, I believe, is this anthem controversy. They still are at a spot where they can't get it resolved. They understand they need to work with the union because you can't just unilaterally change your policy without talking to your union workforce. Right. How do you think that plays out, and do you get a sense that they're any closer to a solution? Uh, well, the, the second question is no. I mean, I don't. I, I mean, it's amazing to me that they're not going to have a solution probably for the start of the season. So if they haven't gotten there at this point, it, I just don't know when they're going to. So I think that's a pretty safe assumption at this point. I mean, w- what's amazing to me about this issue is the commissioner basically had this thing handled last year. I mean, yes, it was a noisy and very stressful season, and you know, Trump piped up and no one, you know, it was it was a very, very unsettling thing, obviously, and it hurt the numbers for a while. But football, I mean, football fans want to go back. I mean, after Trump sort of went away a few weeks after he went away and then Pence did his thing in Indianapolis and that ended, football fans just sort of reverted to the mean and, and a lot of the emotion that was around that issue just sort of went away. And, you know, Trump sort of moved on to something else. And by the end of the year, the numbers were basically climbing up to where they were before. Uh, really good playoffs, really good Super Bowl. I mean, the ratings were a little down, but it might not have been. There might have been a lot of factors there. Um, and then, and if you talk to people, and I did that at that point, players even, um, owners, it, it seemed like Goodell kind of did the right thing there. He didn't sort of do a knee-jerk like, okay, you must stand for the anthem thing, which would have been bowing to pressure from Jerry Jones or Dan Snyder or President Trump. Um, And he just sort of wrote it out, which is sort of what you have to do, because, you know, Trump has a pretty shallow shelf life when he does these things. I mean, yes, it's a spasm, but he can only go to that well so many times. For some reason, and I have no no idea why he did this in May, um, the commissioner and, and I, I, I don't think a majority of owners, but, but you know, a critical mass of owners said, hey, by the way, um, if you want protest, stay in the locker room, and that's a new rule. 
And they announced that, and, and I talked to about three or four people at the league who knew immediately that that was a colossal mistake. I think they knew it was a disaster, like almost in, as soon as that, that came out. And, you know, sure enough, they, they flip-flopped on it um, a few weeks later. But they pissed off a whole lot of players. Everybody. They pissed, they they pissed, pissed off, off a whole everybody. lot of fans. A lot of owners had no idea this was coming, despite this being an owner-driven thing. The union certainly was upset. And, you know, now you have so many layers of mess that, look, if you had taken the same approach this year, and you know Trump's going to pipe up, and, you know, he loves the issue, and it's the midterms, and it's not like he has any big legislative accomplishments coming down the pike. I mean, this is something he, he – but you just got to ride it out. And, and eventually people are just going to, you know – People are going to have their views, and people are going to react, and then they're going to go watch football. I mean, that was sort of the way to go, and for whatever reason, they just decided to self-inflict another huge, huge headache on themselves. Josh Norman, who plays cornerback for the team you love to hate because you're an awful person who roots against the team in the town you happen to live in. I kind of like that because I'm kind of the same uh, way. But, yes. uh, but nevertheless, I digress. The, yeah. uh, he, well, the Redskins he thinks- make it very easy. I'll give you that much. I, I can't imagine being a fan of that team. I just can't uh, imagine it. And and I and I'm yeah. astounded that the name has not changed. I know you touch on that in your book. You mentioned it in the essay yeah. you wrote for Peter's column. I yeah. I say at some point in the next 50 years it's going to change, but maybe politically right, right. now that's the last thing anyone's going to get to. But Norman right. thinks that they just need to ride this out. That Trump's going to be gone and the anthem issue goes away. My position is Trump discovered political plutonium by accident, and this thing's never going away. This is going to be a red state blue state construct mm-hmm. that someone's always going to be resorting to and pressing that button until players have agreed and universally comply with an understanding that they will be on the sideline and stand for the anthem. It it could. I mean, look, I'll say this. I mean, football never should have been a red state, blue state thing. I mean, Trump can play to a base. I mean, we're talking, what, 35% of the population, maybe something like that. I mean, that's what he does. He, he's just, all right, base this, base that. Football needs everybody, basically. I mean, if they want to make their numbers, if they want to grow the way they want to grow, they need men, women, Democrats, Republicans, blacks, whites, Hispanics. I mean, they can't just say, all right, we're just going to, you know, make sure Trump's base is happy. I mean, they, they can't be doing that. But having said that, you know, Trump but, but has they said, But they are. They That's are. The That's exactly. That is exactly right. And and not only that, but um, I, yeah. I mean, it's just yes. You need to ride it out. But at the same time, you can ride it out by doing the right thing. I mean, Roger Goodell. Do you know how much credit he would get inside the league, and probably you know among a much higher percentage of the country than he certainly has now, if he were just to sort of defend the league against the president of the United States, basically said, "Hey, Mr. President." Leave football alone. We love football. We love America. We love the troops. Our players are some of the great, some of the greatest people you know you will ever meet. Just leave us alone. How dare you pick on our industry? We're going to be fine. And you know maybe go pay attention to your day job. Something like that. I mean, like I'm, I'm, I'm this is, I'm not, this is not my job to say. But I, I do think that like the fact that that the commissioner himself has just absolutely not, in any way, shape, or form, defended the league against the president you know, more explicitly than he has, is, I think, pretty telling. I mean, obviously, he's worried about the Trump-supporting owners being mad at him. I mean, Joe Lockhart last year, um, when he said he, he made some locker room talk reference after Trump immediately or, or originally piped up, and, you know, Jerry Jones, Dan Snyder, some of the Trump-supporting owners, you know, they they 
you know, they read him the riot act. I mean, that was a really, really hurtful thing to Joe Lockhart inside. And, you know, he never did that again. So but but having said that, the commissioner's a leader. I mean, this is a time to act like a leader. And if it means saying something that might be unpopular to, you know, a certain sector of you know your customers, even if it's in the we're in the in the um, in the vein of doing what you think is the right thing, you should do it. But for whatever reason, he chooses not to. You make a great point because my experience has been the NFL will fight all enemies, real and perceived, and they will not right. relent. And they will fight you economically. They will fight you legally. They will fight you from yeah. a PR standpoint. And for whatever reason, they run scared when it comes to the president. And of all Correct. presidents, the one that they consistently rejected from the membership is the one that they're afraid of. I I, I mean, do they think that tanks are going to roll on 345 Park Avenue? I don't understand why they won't stand up to him. It it is. It's amazing to me. I mean, they are, you know, I think obviously they're worried about the base. They're worried about, I mean, losing part of the right. I mean, the left has always been more suspicious of of um, the NFL than the right, if you want to be simplistic about this. I mean, the, the, the football is, you know, it's the most conservative sport, probably the most sort of over-the-top sort of military model, over-the-top patriotic, um, violent. I mean, you know, these are all things that, that people on the left would probably be more predisposed to being uh, suspicious of and mindful of. And, and Trump just almost single, single-handedly had turned the NFL into a just a culture war issue. And um, so I, I don't know. I, I do think that um, I, I think that, that it's just there. Uh, they have no solution. They have no solution at all. And Trump, I don't think he's going to run tanks on 345, you know, Park Avenue. But I think this is even better. Right. I mean, he just loves be, he's not in their club, but he can be in their heads. And when when Ken and I were listening to this tape of this meeting, just the, the striking thing to me was just listening to these owners just basically wetting their pants saying, you know, what will Donald do next? I mean, Terry Pagula of the Bills was probably the most um, the biggest defender, but he was he was so upset. And, you know, even Robert Kraft, one of his friends said, you know, what Donald is doing is bad. And, and you know, I think it's very destructive. And and the degree to which they are just sort of trying to tiptoe around him while, you know, of course, complaining about him privately. Um, was sort of staggering to me. I mean, it just gives you a, a sense of just how they are all being played and how Trump is just totally manipulating this. It is amazing to me, Mark, that the issue of protesting during the anthem is polarizing, but the NFL will only listen to that segment that is in favor of standing. Art Rooney was on NFL Network, the network he partially owns recently, and he said, of course, everybody wants the players to be standing, and that's just not accurate. There is a chunk of the fan base that understands why the players protest during the anthem and supports that, but they skew in that direction, and that dovetails with the news that we got yesterday in the Colin Kaepernick case that is collusion grievance is going to go to a full-blown hearing and look I don't know much if anything about the evidence in that case but I know what my eyes and my ears and my my brain tells me and that's that of course they're shunning this guy and I don't know if they just believe that they have the right to do it they think it's not going to be provable in court but this is another one of these self-inflicted wounds where there's a guy out there who should be gainfully employed and isn't and they think they're going to get away with it or they just don't care if they have to write a check there's plenty more where that came from Right. I mean, this ruling, I mean, is a potential disaster to the league. I mean, not not so much because they're in any great danger of losing the case. I mean, they might. But but before that, I mean, the embarrassment that this could visit upon them just in court and having, you know, a lot of people who, who don't like coming out in public testifying in court answering questions – 
having to go out there, which is, includes a lot of owners. I mean, one of the things that the Kaepernick's legal team did was they made themselves a real nuisance, and they you know deposed as many owners as they could. And you have Colin Kaepernick actually joining his lawyers wearing like a Kunta Kinte T-shirt, you know, while going to to depose Bob McNair, and then you know or some other T-shirt. I mean, it's just a bizarre spectacle. I mean, I can tell you that everyone at the league that I talked to thought this thing was just going to go away yesterday, um, Thursday. It was they really, believed they were going to win. They, they actually believed, believed they were going to win. They thought at this it, level. Yes. They just thought, before, win or lose, they just thought it was going to be thrown out. They thought it was so ridiculous. They thought, well, you know, they have not produced the email in which Roger Goodell says to the 32 owners, we must not sign this guy. I mean, that smoking gun doesn't exist, so therefore we're, we're safe. Um, and lo and behold, this thing continues. And, and people I talked to since that ruling came down um, are totally stunned. And, and they're also – um, they're scared. I mean, look, I mean, if you put like a Jim Ursay or a, or a, um, I don't know, a Martha Ford or a Mark Davis or, or some owner who's not usually going out in public and you sort of subpoena him and or her and you put them out on the stand, who knows what's going to happen? Now, that's probably unlikely. But um, again, I mean, you're rolling the dice, you know, in a court of law, potentially, if they don't settle, that could um, that could create all kinds of damages. And, and I know that they're really upset about. It. So we'll see what happens. I see it as maybe a combination or a cross between the trial in My Cousin Vinny and the trial in the <laughs> Seinfeld finale, right? Where it's just going to be one after another, and Garagus is going to destroy them. And, and I yeah. think that's why, you know, I, I tried to understand why they did this, because typically you file a motion for summary judgment because you don't want to put a case in front of a jury because a jury is going to make its decisions on all sorts of things other than the right. law as applied to the facts or the facts as applied to the law. In right. this case, it seemed like a waste of time because you still have Stephen Burbank who's going to rule on this anyway. Well, but I right. think they're trying to. I think they're tried to knock it out because they don't yeah. want this parade of "Oh my God, I can't believe we have to put this person on the witness stand right. and and sit through that." And and who knows how that's all going <laughs> to unfold once people get up there and they start saying whatever they may say. I know, right? No, it, it would, I mean, again, just getting the window into that meeting and hearing how these people speak, I mean, it's just like, wow, no wonder they don't go out in public. No wonder we never hear from, you know, owner X or Y. But no, it's true. I mean, I, I wonder if the NFL Network will broadcast that live. Probably not, right? No, I have a feeling not that gonna one's not going to make it. And here's what's disappointing. I don't think it's going to be open for the public anyway. This is the beauty oh, of really? having an in-house arbitration process oh, where, you know, they've got a gag order and Garagus can't talk about it. Now, eventually, oh. Mark, I think the transcripts will be available for all of us to study. Maybe that'll be yeah. the topic of your next book, Inside the Colin Kaepernick <laughs> Collusion Grievance Trial. But I'm telling you, it's going to be fascinating. However we find out about it, we will, and we'll see how that plays out. Let me ask you a few more quick questions before I let you sure. go, because your Patriots fandom uh, is, is uh, piquing my interest. Do you <laughs> think Tom Brady is going to finish his career in New England? Uh, I would have said definitely two years ago. Now I'd say it's probably 50-50. I mean, I know that he wouldn't care. I mean, he, he he's pretty done with that whole thing. I mean, he's obviously he doesn't have anywhere to go, and um, he loves playing football, and, and he plays football very well still at a high level. But, no, I mean, his his differences with Belichick that came out last year and, and you know, the strains he's had with Kraft are, are very, very real. And, and I think that, that last year especially took a real toll on him. And, you know, Seth Wickersham of ESPN laid it out pretty well, and he got killed around New England. But I think, from what I could tell, that story that that you know laid out this tension pretty well, I, I thought was 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 largely accurate. And so, um, I'd say fifty fifty. Now, I 
made an observation on Twitter earlier today that flowed from something that occurred to me during my radio program about how the Patriots have consistently underpaid Tom Brady, they're now underpaying Rob Gronkowski. When you consider, and this goes all the way back to Teddy Bruschi in the early days, cutting his own deal, doing a bad deal, they have enjoyed a nucleus of guys who will consistently take less. And when you consider that they've had Brady for 18 years, shouldn't they have 10 trophies instead of five? Oh, no, I'll take five. Hey, I grew up but watching the Patriots. They were terrible. Should, but no, shouldn't they have ten? No, you can't have ten. ten no, you, no, no, no. You, they shouldn't. You I'm not going to say they I want ten, but I should, we're not, <laughs> I'm not going to use the word should. I, I, look, you know, I, I will take – I mean, the, the most annoying thing about Patriots fans, and I'm fully – and and there's a lot that's annoying about Patriots fans. Don't don't think I don't know that, and I probably am – I'm an offender here. But it's, it's when we lapse into the self-pity mode. Like, oh, how could we not have gotten ten Super Bowls and we only have five? Or, oh, they ain't us. Or they hate us because they ain't us. No, but it, it's – no, I, I have uh, zero – I mean, I'm greedy because I want to win this year, but no, I don't. I don't feel like we should have won ten. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with you there, Mike. And one thing we agree on completely is what a sham Deflategate was. I love how you consistently resisted the temptation to relitigate it, like you were apologizing for even bringing it up in the book. But I agree with you. They decided on an outcome. They had no idea that air pressure, God forbid, who knows that air pressure may reduce inside of a rubber bladder when you're outside in the elements in January. And they locked into a narrative, and they wanted to prove the Patriots guilty, and they went out and hired a guy who was going to give them what they wanted, and Ted Wells gave them what they wanted. And what an embarrassment that ultimately was for the league and you know even to this day i think it's it's a stain on the commissioner it's a stain on the league office and i don't know how much of a stain it is on the patriots because i think the conclusion should have been that the evidence is inconclusive at best i mean i think look i think at worst this is a maybe a parking ticket maybe i mean minor equipment violation or something i I thought it was ridiculous and i also thought um, what was ridiculous was was it was first of all it was driven by you know that tweet by Chris Mortensen that was clearly driven by the league. I mean his source I'm, I'm almost certain came from the league and and they didn't correct it and it was just flat wrong and by the time that thing got corrected I mean we were well down the road and they picked on a player who I don't know why you'd want to pick on him. I mean he's he's basically you know your best player in the league and I don't know. I mean that was like you said in the book. I mean I I could get all all worked up about this again and i spent way too much time in 2015 um you know listening to boston talk radio and reading the wells report and reading about the stupid what is it called the ideal gas law and and you know it just pv equals nrt yeah i'll never get that time back and then i started writing about it and i was like (laughs) wait a minute if i write more about it i'm going to lose more time and i'm certainly i could probably definitely lose some readers because i mean it's funny because in that moment and you know i read everything at that moment i read your stuff i mean i thought that that was a perfect object lesson in why the league is uh, i wouldn't say corrupt but why the league just like is is just um is a machine that 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 sort of bends its will sometimes at the expense of of owners of players of franchises i mean it was such a window into the kind of bs that can prevail in that league you know and spending enormous sums of money and time and resources on it and and it was great for the reality show i mean andrew brandt called this um sports illustrated um and former packers executive he, he calls this the deflate gate marketing strategy. I mean, it was the number one reality show issue in the NFL in that whole off season. And it was a lot better than Ray Rice, which was the big issue of the, the previous season. So, 
you know, you had 80% of the fans in the league really happy because he was, you know, the league was sticking it to the Patriots, and a lot of the owners were pleased that that Goodell was sticking it to Bob Kraft, and um, you know, and it was a goofy, weird story that didn't involve someone hitting his fiancée in an elevator or concussions or something like that. So I can see why they would, you know, maybe want to fan the flames of that, but. Damn, man! I wish we had that. I, I just, I, I just don't, for the life of me, don't know why that was just not immediately just laughed at and forgotten after maybe an hour. My wife, Mark, put it best. Like the first day this all came up, and I'm scurrying around to figure out what's happening. She's like, "Wait, explain this to me. What's going on?" I said, "Well, the Patriots had less air in their footballs. Well, why would they do that?" She asked me. I said, "Well, because apparently it makes it, you know, easier to grip the football. And if it's easier to grip the football, it's easier to throw the football." And she's just like, "Well, isn't what they isn't that what they want? <laughs> I mean, don't you want your quarterbacks to be able to throw the damn football?" And right. then all hell broke loose after that. Absolutely. And you know what, by the way, and, and I will say this, I mean, Tom Brady, like there's a certain number of amount of the population right now, especially people who don't follow the game closely or who just want to troll New England fans. And, and I don't blame them for wanting to troll New England fans who will just immediately you know, hear Brady say, oh, cheater. You know, it's just like cheater. And look, that's just fans trolling each other. But it, it's a bad rap to walk around when you have an otherwise sort of unblemished and, and just great career. So, look, as a, as a Pats fan and as a Brady fan, um, I do take some offense. But I'm not going to get worked up about it. Well, and to bring it back around to the fact that these owners all have their own agenda, their desire, their rivalries, et cetera. This all happens because when an owner calls a coach in and says, why in the hell can't you beat the Patriots? It's easier to say they cheat than it is to say we suck. They're just better than us. So right. it perpetuates this idea that they're always up to something. I, I think absolutely. No, it, it's a nice excuse. Um, look, I, I, I don't, I guess I don't blame people, but, um, and, and I, you know, I, I don't, I don't doubt by the way that, that there is, some justifiable complaint about how they do business, but but look, I'm on the right side of it because that's the team I root for, and that's about as complicated as I'm going to get on this subject. Well, Mark, uh, I could keep going for another hour. It's fascinating to talk football with somebody who understands how it works, and there is plenty more out there for folks who are interested in Mark's perspective on the NFL. The book is Big Game. Avoid page 308, please. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> are you, wait, which page? Oh, is that you? 308, yeah, that's the, the – uh, uh, oh. the, no, 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 that's 4142. Page 308 oh, okay. is Jerry Jones masturbating in his shoes. Oh, yes, exactly. Oh, you know, there is so much in here, by the way, that I can't believe people haven't picked up on. I mean, they will at some point. I mean, but I, 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 I mean, what's striking about how this book has sort of landed this week is just there's like a little um, you-know-what storm in, in a lot of – every little city, and, like, people are making a huge deal about, you know, there's a lot of Patriot stuff, and the, there's the cowboy thing, and there's the – I mean, it's just weird but yeah no you picked up on that and i'm very very grateful that you helped get that little detail the exposure that it clearly deserves when i've got a list of more the problem is all hell broke loose on wednesday between aaron Rodgers and teddy bridgewater and now stuff today and the cuts are coming but i got a list of stories i want to get to because number one it's fascinating and it's stuff i want <laughs> my audience to be aware of but number two i mean the more people realize that the book is just full of things like this it's something that they will enjoy and it's something that they should all read if they want to know more about the NFL. So, Mark, I really appreciate it. It really does help people better understand the craziness that we deal with all the time. And hopefully our paths can cross at some point. We can talk some football. We can talk, talk some politics. And, uh, That'd be great. Uh, the intersection of the two. Thanks again, Mark. A absolutely. And you won't be seeing me probably at the commissioner's party, but we'll do, we'll do something else somewhere else. All right. Sounds so, good. Thanks, Mike. All right. Bye-bye. All right. There he is, Mark Leibovich. Big game.
the NFL in dangerous times. Go out and buy it, seriously. And, and there's no advertising relationship here. I'll be completely journalistically transparent. I just like the book. And, and trust me, for a free book, I would, I would do a lot less than push this thing. I just think you would enjoy it, and I highly recommend it. And I may read it again because there's plenty of stuff in there that I missed the first time around. So enjoy your weekend. It's going to be a busy time. We'll have all the news and information on the cuts as the rosters move from 90 to 53 at profootballtalk.com. We have PFT Live Radio only on Monday. Not sure about a PFT PM on Monday. I'll try to do one, though, if I can work it out because head to Philly on Tuesday for the first game of the regular season next Thursday night. So all weekend long, refresh, refresh, refresh from your laptop, your desktop, your cell phone device, your tablet, wherever. And thanks, as always, for your support, and have a great weekend. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk.